So hopefully you made your way there to Joshua chapter 9. It's always important, uh, bring your Bible. If you don't have one, you could take the one that you got from us there. Um, you know, we read through the Bible and, and, you know, we go through usually one or two chapters on Wednesday night and you'll get so much more out of it if you read it, take notes, um, guarantee. All right. Let's go before the Lord once more, and we will pick up there in chapter 9. Father, again, it's great to gather here together, and we ask that you would move through our hearts and our midst, as you're so faithful to do, Lord, uh, as your word goes forth, Lord, by your spirit. And we ask that you would do that tonight, Lord. Uh, there's so much you want to say to us continually, Lord, and, and uh, we just always uh, ask that you give us ears to hear, Lord, and a heart to apply it, Father, to make it our own. Because it does have applications, certainly for us as a group, as a church, uh, but certainly also has just as equally an application to our lives individually, Lord. And you know where each one of us are, and you know exactly what we need to hear, and you're faithful to always share that, Lord. And help us to receive it and apply it, Lord, as you move faithfully, uh, as you do through your word by your spirit tonight, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were with us last time, you know, we're going through the book of Joshua. And just by way of review, remember, uh, they were slaves in Egypt. Well, I guess let's take it a step back. Uh, way back in Genesis, the first book in the Bible, God was uh, calling out a man named Abraham. Uh, he was called Abram at that time. Uh, the Lord will change his name a little later on. But he's going to bring him to a land that's going to be eventually his, and he's going to set up a nation. Remember, in the Old Covenant, the Lord chose a group of people or a nation or all the people actually came from this man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. Everybody in the nation of Israel, because that was his grandson, all came through him. They were literally physically related. And then, of course, others joined, and that was the Lord's intention, was to have a nation that worshipped him, that he was the center of, that he was, uh, uh, and they, uh, how they approached him, and it was completely different than all the other nations in the world. And that was a light to all the other nations. And then that was to it by how they lived and how the Lord blessed them and used them and taught them and how their laws were laid down and, and how they treated one another and all those things and so much more. Um, were, were to make them attractive to all the other people, both far and near. And uh, we know that there were some great times where that was very good and the people were a great witness, and other times it was uh, they weren't. But when, as God foretold, he was going to send his son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross, and then Jesus in instituted the new covenant. And that's what we, we look at usually in the New Testament. That new covenant is we're many people of many different nations now. We're not all of one nation. We're, we're people spread out everywhere. And we're lights wherever we are. In Watsonville and Santa Cruz and Sacramento and Alaska and, you know, Shanghai and wherever and where, whatever. So, again, a different way that the Lord is working through uh, this world. Always working, always has, always will. Always trying to draw people to him. And certainly, that's what he's doing. Now, Abraham, as I said, he brought him into uh, this land and said, hey, you're going to move away from your family, just you. Uh, you know, you, you're to come here. And uh, he said, you know, the, all this land you're going to walk is going to be yours, but at the time, it's not right for you to take it. I, I'm, I'm, the people here, they're, 
they're going from bad to worse, but I'm giving them 400 years to turn the ship around. Meanwhile, you know, you're going to be down in Egypt, your people will, and they'll be mistreated, and I'll bring them out by a powerful hand. And they were slaves down in Egypt for about 400 years. God brought them out of the land in a miraculous way. You remember all the plagues? He parted the Red Sea, and then he parked them in front of a mountain called Sinai in the desert down there. And there, well, he was trying to get Egypt out of them, and and his spirit into them. And he gave them the law. And he told them, this is how you can approach me. And these are things you can't do. This is what's going to make you a unique people uh, for then. Well, and you know, he brought them up to the promised land. And they said, no way we can do this. It's impossible. High walls, strong guys. We're a bunch of slaves. There's no way we can do this. And God said, listen, the only way you can enter into my promises is by faith. So he said, listen, okay, you guys want to wander around. You never want to enter into my promises. You can wander around and it'll be a 40-year death march. And that's what they did, wandered in circles. And then the next generation came up under the command now of Joshua instead of Moses. And they're in the promised land now. Battles. Still faith involved. It's always about faith. It always will be about faith. Trusting him allowing him to lead, and allowing him to do the work that he wants to do. The first one was this great city of Jericho as they crossed over the border. And remember, it was the craziest battle strategy ever. Who would just march around a city and not say anything at all, and just some priests blowing some trumpets, and you do that once a day, and then you do that for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to do it six times. But on the seventh time... Uh, when you make the seventh lap, then you're going to hear the trumpets again. It's going to be a different sound. And you shout, and everything's going to fall down, and you're going to go straight in, and the city's going to be yours. And that's where we uh, picked it up uh, a week or two ago. And then remember, God said, listen, this first city, there's going to be a lot of valuable things you're going to see. But as usual with the Lord is, listen, I want you to understand that all those things are it says in the King James, uh, accursed, but newer translations use devoted. They're, they're devoted to me. In other words, that first portion is going to be mine. Don't touch any of it. Again, that's always a matter of faith again. It's just how the Lord works. He, he doesn't need anything. He never needs us to give him money or time or resources or any of that stuff. He doesn't need any of it. But he knows we need it. We need to get the selfishness and the self-centeredness out of our lives. And so giving is important to do that. And so he says, listen, there's going to be opportunity for you, but you need not to touch. Well, one guy uh, didn't listen. Now, out of a couple million, that's, <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. Just one guy, but one guy didn't. And after that battle of Jericho, the, you know, they were heading to this next city. And, you know, nobody sought the Lord. Oh, the first battle was real tough and big. And, oh, oh it was impossible, Lord, we need you. And so lots of prayer and, and effort. And, and the second one, ah, it's okay. It's a little town. Boy, if we got that one, we could certainly get this. We don't even send everybody. We'll just go up there. And, and they didn't seek the Lord. Because if they did, the Lord would have said, hey, listen, you can't move forward until you get rid of this sin out of your life, out of the camp. And you remember the story, they did that, and then the Lord gave them this great victory. And after that victory of Ai, they, um, and you, they went up to, as the Lord said, to, to, oh, here's a map real quick, and I don't know if you can see it very well. I have a bigger copy of it, sorry. But here's where they crossed over, here's Jericho. They went to uh, have this battle at uh, 
Ai, and then they, they, the last thing they do in chapter 8 is they go up to Shechem up there, or Shechem, and uh, the Lord told them many years ago, when you go into the land, I want you to set up and write the law, write my words there and recite it so that you guys know you're coming to the land, why you're here, what, I, what I'm calling you to do, that you don't get mixed up with what everybody else is doing there. The reason they're leaving the land is not because, and I'm giving it to you, is not because you guys are great and wonderful and sweet and have, you know, beautiful eyes and a, you know, charming smile. It's because they have sinned so much. As a matter of fact, the Lord told them, if you repeat the same things they do, you're going to be moved out too. And so the Lord wanted to set up some memorials for that. And so they went up to Shechem and recited that covenant. And now... They're done with that, and so now the next battle lies before them, and that's where we pick up in Joshua. Oh, here's a better map of it. Sorry, I knew I had a closer one. <laughs> I knew I did that. I wanted to give you the overview, and so there's Jericho. Here's AI, and then Shechem's right at the top of that green, green, brown, whatever line color that is at the top there, um, uh, there, and that's where they went. So let's look at verse 1 and read that together. And it came to pass... When all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands and in the and all the coasts of great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, Perizzite, the Hivite, Jebusite, the Adosite, and the Uptite, just saying if you're paying attention, <laughs> heard about this, and they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Now. Again, uh, we're going to see here in chapter 9 two different groups of people, if you would. This is that first group uh, that we'll run across that we just read about here. And this was pretty much the typical response from the people that were living in this land. Uh, they were going to fight to the death to stop them from coming into the land at all. And this was a very uh, a typical response. They're, they're, but, but instead of, you know, they went to one city and then they went to another city. But now these guys are realizing, hey, um, they're coming into the land. We need to all get together. And uh, here's kind of a, a rough map of, the, of where they were. So here's where they crossed over in Gilgal. And, and so that these Hittites, this group here, the, the Canaanites here, and the Amorites that are here, and even the Hivites here, these guys are going to start now combining their forces. Now, normally, these people will be very divided. Remember, when we talk about all these battles and these, these uh, fighting against this kingdom and this kingdom, remember, in that time, as it was really for up until almost like the 20th century, maybe even a little bit, maybe the 19th century, most places had city-states. They were... There are very small uh, kingdoms, and, and they were like a city. So to put it in today's terms, it would be like in our Santa Cruz County, Watsonville would be its own city-state with its own king. Uh, you'd probably have Aptos would be a smaller kingdom, fewer people, less land. They would have their own king. You know, Capitola would, Santa Cruz would, uh, Scotts Valley would have their own king, and they would have usually one big city, or maybe they would have two or three if they were a little bit more area and a little larger population. So when they're going to each one of these, you kind of have to think of it in those terms because they, these nations were really, you know, more like we'd say city-states. And again, you know, the world, well, in a lot of areas, they're still like that, you know, um, 
you know, we're... Anyway, I won't go into all that because it'll bore you to tears. But, but usually these guys, the other thing is they fought each other. You know, they would try to take power away and people away and resources away. But now these guys, you know, once God's people arrived, they come together united in opposition against Israel. And I can tell you, it's, isn't that usually what always happens, right? You know, uh, continues in our day. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, you know, some groups might hate each other and dis- disagree with many things. But then, you know, one thing, uh, a lot of people will get in common to attack the church, you know, <laughs> and, and God's people and Christians. They may not even like the other person, but they know you're a Christian and you're working there. Boy, uh, they'll team up and gang up with, you know, you against somebody. I mean, it's just, you know, that's like, and that's what's happening today. And it's happening in those days as well. The enemies will usually always unite against God. That's kind of how it is and how it probably pretty much will always be, even to when we read in Revelation. But again, notice the battles aren't over for the people. You know, in fact, it may seem to be getting worse because before maybe they were taking one place at a time and now put yourself in their situation it seems like they're it's getting worse and they're teaming up and the armies are going to be two or three or four times as big and they're going to be coming against there and but but always remember this what the enemy means for evil and destruction of God's people the Lord always uses it for our good amen you know there'll be people that you know uh Again, you know, they think, oh, man, this is really going to put him out of commission. And, you know, our God's good. He he uses those things for good as he'll do that in this situation, as we'll see as we go through this. Okay, so we have these groups uh, getting together, and, and we'll pick those guys up again in chapter 10. But right now, the second group of people we're going to read from here to the re- end of the chapter. Now, this is another group of people that don't join this coalition, so to speak. And let's read about that in verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. Kind of sounds like your kitchen, Marty, a little bit. No, I'm just kidding, Marty. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what I thought of. I'm just picking on the single guy. Sorry, Marty. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's get back on track here. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal. And they said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Verse 7, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are uh, dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Because remember, the Lord told them, you're not to make a covenant. If you do, they're what got them into trouble and what sank their ship and their, their rebellious and sinful and really wicked ways are going to affect you. And so they knew that. And they said, if you're neighbors, there's no way we can do that. The Lord told us not to do that very specifically and repeatedly. And, and he's Verse 8, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? 
And so they said to him, uh, From a far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard his of his fame, and all that he did in Egypt. Remember, that was 40 years plus ago. And all that he did to the two kings of the, Amor, uh, the Ammonite, Amorites, I'm sorry, who are beyond the Jordan, to Shion the king of Heshbon, and Og the king of Basham, who is at Ashtroth. So, and again, so they're bringing up those battles. Remember, those are the battles that happened on the other side of Jordan before they crossed over and had battles with uh, Jericho and Ai. So they're very conveniently leaving out all that, what would be newer information, right? So if you came a long way, as they said, that information wouldn't be known. So that's why they're omitting that. Verse 11, Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for your journey. And go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And the wineskins were filled with new and see, they are torn. And these are our garments and our sandals have become old of the uh, have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but notice this, and if you're underlining your Bible, I hope you are, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So remember, you think from the AI experience and all the problems that they had that we talked about last time, you think they would have not forgotten so quickly. But let me point out, they're just like us. <laughs> how quick we forget, right? The Lord delivers us out of this, something happens, the Lord does this, and then, you know, whoo, Lord, thank you. And then, you know, two weeks later, a day later, an hour later, a month later, you know, we're in panic again, and, uh, you know, oh, it's all going to fall apart. And we forget what the Lord has just done, and we forget to, you know, all those things. And so they're just like us. That's the point I want you to see here. They don't do that. Now, remember, here's the deception. Everything looked right from the outside. They even said the right things. Oh, we want to worship God. We know you're great. We know, you know, the Lord's using you. They, they looked right. They even sounded right. But it was a complete deception. And that's why it's important to learn this lesson that the Lord has for us here, well, of a few, we need to always walk by the Spirit and always ask the Lord for discernment. Lord, is this really what it looks like? You know, oh, she's so pretty, he's so handsome, he's so wonderful, and oh, you know, and they talk nice, and they're acting nice, and they seem like they act together, and they talk about God, and well, Lord, is, is this really from you, or am I going to just follow my passion, or my, you know, or this? Uh, oh, the job looks great and wonderful and this and oh, I see these benefits and this will happen and this will be great and oh, it looks so great. Lord, is this what you want me from me? Is this what you want me to do? And the list goes on and on. I just hit a couple of the, the high points there. We need to always ask the Lord for discernment because the Lord knows what's really going on and we need to always be those that ask him, Lord, is this what you'd have me to do? I can't 
you know, emphasize this enough. We know even the New Testament tells us that the, that the enemy, the devil, can look like an angel of light. It can look good. It can look like what's right. It can have that appearance, you know, if, if we don't really seek and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit. It may look okay. It may sound okay. But again, uh, that's why it's so important that we go to the Lord, that we seek Him. And we don't go with, which can happen to us all too frequently, is like, Lord, this is what I want to do. I want you to bless it. No, rather, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Do you want me to move in this direction? Do you want me to pull away? Do you, what would you have me to do? Would you have me to do it now? Or would you have me wait? What would, what would you, and we go to him and we seek him. For is this what you want or not? Or the time or not? Or wait? And again, um, it's so important um, that we remember these things. It's, um, it's only going to grow worse and worse in our society in the time that we're living in, guys. i you know, been around for a while, uh, seen enough things in my life, and uh, you know, I, I just the days are growing darker, quicker than I would have ever imagined. And I think this whole... Uh, whatever you feel about this whole last uh, presidential election cycle and everything, I, you know, I think the blinders are are coming off in a lot of ways. Um, how fragmented and how divided we really are as a group of people, and people are just either here or they're there. And I'm not even saying, you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to get into the political thing, but I'm just showing you the the or pointing out, I should say, the environment that we're in. I, I mean, it, it's the the, the the attacks of the enemy as a whole on the Christian community are going to go greater and greater. You know, there was just something I was just reading. And again, you know, I stay, I, I'm very well read on politics, but I stay very well away from them because there's usually never any fruit there. But there was this bill that's going through uh, our wonderful Sacramento legislator right now on that sexual orientation change efforts. I don't know if you've seen that. It's been kind of passed around a little bit, but... You know, it just talks about how it would be against the law if you, well, I can even quote it to you here because I actually looked up the text of it. It said, any practices to seek to change an individual's sexual orientation, which includes efforts to change behaviors or gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual romantic attractions or feelings towards individuals of the same sex. And basically what they would do is put this law in the books that if you try to tell somebody or encourage somebody, or certainly counsel somebody that, you know, that that's wrong or sinful, or that's not what the Lord has for you, you could be punished. And, you know, uh, you know, it's not at that point, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, sound the bells on this one. But it's the precursor, which has already been going on for years, that is moving in that direction, that eventually one day when we start reading verses out of this, they are going to say your sexual harassment, discrimination, you're picking on this group, and the list goes on and on and on. It's going to come. It's, it's coming, and it's coming quicker, and these kind of things are just moving everything slowly and surely in that direction, and eventually, you know, it, it's, we're, we're going we're gonna to have all that. And there's this great pressure for us to, you know, to conform to that and, and to move in that direction, and the society is moving as a whole there. And uh, I, I've told you many times, I used to have this T-shirt, uh, 
years ago, and I love this Christian t-shirt, and it, it was a, a verse from uh, Isaiah, and it showed all these fish swimming with the with the, um, the the current of the river, and it had this the Christian ichthus, you know, the Christian fish that you see sometimes, like swimming in opposite direction. It had this verse from Isaiah talking about, you know, we're swimming against the current. You know, everybody's going in this direction. The Christian's heading in this direction, and you know, uh, again, these guys it would. Be easy just to make peace with somebody and do this without seeking the Lord and getting along and going with the flow and and um, you know we 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 just always need to seek the Lord. He knows what's going on. He always wants to reveal the truth to us. And uh, again, uh, he he knows everything, and we need to seek him. It was kind of like David when he went out to battle. When he first became king, and then the, the, the army of the Philistines were, were coming against him, and the first thing he did was, you know, rather than rally the troops, he went to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to battle these guys? And if so, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And so, you know, the Lord answered yes, and, and he gave him instruction. And there was a great victory. A, a year or so later, it doesn't really give us the time, they do the same thing again. David asked the same question, Lord, do you want me to go to battle? Now, you think it's obvious. Here comes an army against you. You're the king, and you know, you're supposed to protect everybody and do all this stuff. But his first question, well, do you want me to fight? And then how do you want me to do it? And the Lord said, yes, and, but I'm not going to do it the same way that you did it the last time they fought. You, I want you to do something different. And David did it and, of course, had victory again. Again, it's important for us to know that and, and to remember to go to him. I can't emphasize that enough. The Bible is filled with stories about people that didn't and what happened, people that did and what happened. Uh, just so much. But that's not the end of the story. So they say that to them and said, look, you know, and the deception set there. And let's read the rest of verse 15. Uh, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them uh, to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Verse 17, Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities, uh, now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. And so here's a little, you know, uh, little map there they came across there and here's a little bit quicker um, so you can see there's Gibeon and a couple of the cities around that we'll talk about these the battle lines in a little bit but you know they came here they had victory here here's their city and a couple of them that are around them Gibeon being being the main one right there and so uh, you know they're there and and uh, again if they had just waited a couple of days right three days they it would have been very evident for them to know the lie that they were telling. And again, it happens to us, but they were walking by sight, not by faith. Okay, it looks good. They want to have peace. Boy, everything kind of lines up what they're saying. What they're saying makes sense. You know, what we can see makes sense. But it's by sight and not by faith. Remember that. God's called us to walk by faith and not by sight. And we need to wait for the Lord to move before we we go out. You know, if they had just waited, they would have, so much would have been revealed. 
I like this quote about um, uh, a man named Warren Wiersbe. It says, like Joshua and the nation of Israel, God's people today are living in enemy territory and must constantly exercise caution. When you believe the enemy instead of seeking the mind of the Lord, you can expect to get into trouble. And I think that's so true. Uh, seeking the Lord, so important. And they find out a couple days later, it was a big ruse. It was a big, there was a big deception here. And the story goes on, verse 18, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to, uh, to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Now, keep this in mind um, as we continue to read uh, this story, because this, I believe, is an important part of, of what happens uh, in the rest of this with the Gibeonites here. Um, but I also want to point out is they kept their word. They kept their word. Um, this is, again, another repeated theme throughout Scripture, is being a person of your word. You know, if you commit to something that you follow through with your word, you know, I, I, I can't tell you over and over in Proverbs, and there's examples of it uh, throughout his word, uh, you know, over and over again. You know, don't make a commitment then. If you're not sure you can keep it, don't make a commitment. But if you make a commitment, you keep your word. You know, he wants us to be people who keep our words. It's a great witness as well. The question is, how are we doing? It's always a good question to ask ourselves. You know, sometimes we use the excuse to get out of our word. You know, we have excuses. Well, I, I would keep what I said I would do, but, you know, the circumstance changed. And, you know, since circumstances change, therefore it changes, uh, you know, whether I should keep that commitment or not, you know, what I said I would do. I really don't have to keep my word because, you know, circumstances change, this change, that happened. And, um, uh, but I would, I would caution you with that because, Look at the circumstances here. Um, they gave their word based on deception. I mean, there was zero truth in the whole thing that they said, right? And, and uh, their, their whole commitment and their word was based on a complete fabrication. Everything they said was fabric. They weren't from far away. They didn't do this. They, you know, it was all that stuff was a complete fabrication. So they could easily have thought, well... They lied. Why do we have to keep our word? They deceived. Why should I keep my word? They tricked us. We don't need to keep our word, right? Wrong. They did. As a matter of fact, they did keep their word. Because it was their word. It was based on what they committed to them before the Lord that they're keeping it. Not on what they said or didn't say or how they how truthful it was or how they acted or reacted or anything. It all came down to, no, this is my word that I gave before the Lord and I'm going to keep it. It's not based on anything else other than that. And as a matter of fact, the, the nation kept that word. Um, you read a little later on when you get into, well, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 
kings and so forth, there's a story about um, uh, there was a famine in the land for three years. And David, when he was king at this time, he inquired the Lord, Lord, why, why is this going on? Why, why are we having, uh, why are you trying to get our attention? And the Lord spoke to him and says, well, because Saul, who was a previous king, you see, it said that he was zealous for the Lord and wanted to wipe out non-Jewish or Israeli or Hebrew people. And some of the people that he killed were these Gibeonites. And, and the Lord was holding the nation accountable hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later um, for killing the Gibeonites because their ancestors gave their word that they would not harm them. And so that, that had to be made right before, you know, things could go back to normal with the people. That's how serious God takes, you know, and wants us to keep our word. Maybe you work for a Gibeonite. <laughs> Maybe the person that hired you promised you the world and did this and that and whatever. And then, yeah, wait a minute. Okay, I said I'd do it. And then, well, well, they change everything. I can do what this and that or whatever and... You know, sometimes we feel that way. Maybe you married a Gibeonite. <laughs> ah, well, you know, he looks so good on paper, but man, you know, after the ring went on or his she or whatever, you know, uh, we gave our word. We gave a commitment. God honors that. He respects that. He desires that from us. And um, it helps us to be slow to give our word as well. I know if I'm going to do this, I'm going to keep it. And it's important. Why is it so important? Well, not only does the Lord make it important, but it's also a huge part of our testimony, guys. It, it, it plays a huge part of our testimony with these Gibeonites, as we'll see as we finish through this chapter. It's huge part. And, 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 and you'd be surprised when you're a person of your word, it just so the light shine into this world. Man, because so many people will lie as soon as look at you and promise you this and change it in a second. We're different. Got to be careful of that. Well, let's continue to read on what happens. Verse 20. This we will do. We will let them live lest the wrath of the, uh, be upon us because of the oath which we had sworn to them. Verse 21. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called them and he spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us. Now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So the result is you're going to be servants. But the other option was certain annihilation and wipeout, right? But listen to this. This is, I think we need to see as we wrapped up this chapter here. So they answered Joshua, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, therefore we, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do, as you, uh, do to us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hands of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. 
Now, this is what I, I want us to focus on as we, you know, finish with this one group of people before we switch back to the other group of people. It's important to see. First of all, the rest of the book is going to go kind of quick because a lot of them are just battle accounts. And, you know, we're not going to read necessarily every de- detail of these battle accounts. But I want you to see here that, you know, when we read about the death and the destruction that goes on, we need to remember the story here. It kind of like the story of Rahab and Jericho. You might remember when we talked about that a, a few weeks when we started the book here. That, you know, she had all the same information about the Lord as, as the people of Jericho. The difference between her and everybody else in that whole city that was packed in Jericho was that she believed it and her faith moved into action to help out the spies and, and to make that great profession of faith. Hey, um, uh, uh, I, I know your God is great. I know he's greater than all these other things. I know he promised you this and I know he's going to come through, which really showed a lot more faith than, than a lot of the, even the, the Israelites, certainly the, the ones that went in the death march for 40 years. They, they didn't even have close to the kind of faith Rahab did. And so the Lord spared her. Now, uh, you know, out of all of Jericho, because she had faith, remember I said this in the beginning, the Lord desire us to come faith without, you know, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or faith is the evidence of things hoped for. I'm sorry, faith, I could quote it, I should read it, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 tells us. And, um, you know, she had that faith. And uh, again, remember I said there was two groups of people. There were all the other nations. I showed you that map, all those groups of people that come together. Let's fight these guys because we have a fighting chance if we all gather together. Instead of them picking off one at a time, let's do that. But these guys realized something different. They had faith. They had faith to realize, hey, listen, and, and we'll find out that they were a bigger city than Jericho. They were one of the biggest cities. They had the greatest fighters, some of the greatest fighters in that whole area. And, and they didn't have just one city, but a bunch. Of so they could have trusted in their resources and in their army and done all that. But they realized God is greater than all of this. And we heard what the Lord said to Moses. I mean, Moses has already been dead now for a while. So and, and, and they realized God is greater. And the third thing that they knew about these people uh, was they had a witness for keeping their word. Because think of it this way. If any other group had come into that land and was going to fight, you know, uh, and kill, uh, they were fighting each other in wars, you know, and everything like that. You know, if they had went to a deception like that and said, hey, yeah, you make a treaty with us. And, and okay, we'll make a treaty. And then, you know, they found out a couple of days later that, hey, you guys lied to us. How many other groups of people would have held their word? They would have said, I don't care what I signed out. You guys lied to us. Death to you all, right? But there was a witness of God's people that they keep their word. And in faith, they took it in faith. They didn't know any of it. It was all in faith, again, another thing of faith, is they realized if we can get them to make a commitment before the Lord that they won't hurt us, they won't hurt us, even if it costs them something. And again, these people knew that these were God's people. They were different than everybody else in the world. And that was a great witness, and it caused them to really, in my opinion, to walk in faith. And they were the group that survived just, in a sense, like Rahab. 
Because of faith, they realized, God, that's what you're going to do. We heard all this. We know you're going to do the same thing here. It doesn't matter how strong we think we are, even though if we have the best army and the best cities and the best resources out of probably everybody around here, we know your God is greater. So we come in humbly before that. And if that's what we're reduced to, then that's what we're reduced to. We'll be, we'll be servants of the Lord. No problem. They were able to stay because of that. Now back chapter 10 to those groups that came together to fight. And there's not much here. We'll just look at this pretty quickly. Verse 1. And it came to pass that Adonai Zebek, Zedek, sorry, a king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it and how he had done to Jericho and its king. And, and he said, uh, and so he had done to Ai and its king. And the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. So again, they walk in faith, Lord, you're greater, we'll submit to that, we're not going to fight against that, we really realize, God, you're going to do it. And I believe they came to faith in, in, in that way, much like Rahab. But again, uh, they realized God was greater. But these guys, verse 3, Therefore Adonai Zebek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, the king of Hebron, and uh, Piram, the king of uh, Jarmuth, and, and Japha, the king of Lachish, and Debar, uh, Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon together, uh, gathered together and went up, they and all the, their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war with it. And so... Here's a, a little map again. So they're here. They made peace now. These guys are the green lines. So all from those cities that we read, follow this green. Is that green? Brown? Whatever this color is, yeah. It's going up here um, to, to there. They're coming up to attack them. That's kind of what's going on, what we just read here. Follow that, that line up. They're heading to make war there. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now, <laughs> put yourself in Joshua's sandals here. You're probably thinking, oh great, we made this thing, peace treaty with them, we made a commitment, we're not going to break it, and you know, nobody's happy about that, but we're not going to break it, and that was a bad deal enough. If that wasn't bad enough, now these guys are in a huge mess and man, now we get to go and save them. <laughs> I, you know, here was a, a great quote. I, I, I like this. Oh, there's a, another map of it, but the quote's here somewhere. Here it is. The mistakes we make embarrass us, especially those mistakes that are caused by us running ahead of the Lord and not seeking his will. But we need to remember that no mistake is final for the dedicated Christian. God can use even our blunders to accomplish his purposes. 
And that's exactly what's going on here. He might be thinking, oh man, this is going from bad to worse. Didn't listen, didn't do it. Now we got this. And now only, now we're facing not only defending them, but all these armies are coming together. We can't pick them off one by one. Now they're all going to be, you know, uh, one giant army against us. And I think not only Joshua and the people are, are uh, learning an important lesson, and the Lord is allowing, you know, uh, I believe this group to be part of his people. But he is working through all of this. He is going to do a great work, even though they blew it, just as we read, even though as they fumbled and didn't seek the Lord and they got involved in this. But, you know, they're trying to be faithful. They're keeping their word. They're doing that. You know, they want to honor the Lord. And it looks like this is a, a bad situation that's gotten three times as worse, three times worse. But. What the Lord's going to do, as we'll see here in a little bit, you know, he's really speeding up the conquest of the land. <laughs> Instead of going one by one, which was taking a lot of time now, he's going to bring all five of these great armies together so that they'll have one battle with them. So instead of battling different guys at different times, he's going to take them all at once. Now, we know what happens. And obviously, if you read ahead, and I just told you, I just gave you the what's going to happen with the rest of the story, but the same thing is true in our lives, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't abandon us and leave us because we blew it or did this or we didn't, you know, keep a commitment or we just jumped ahead or, you know, lag behind. Just always trust the Lord, walk in him, get back. His promise is to work everything out for good for those that are his. That's what Romans 8 tells us. Well, let's read on. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him. And all the mighty men of valor, and the Lord said to Joshua, You big dummy. No, that's what he said to Fred Sanford, right? No, he says, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So in the toughest of time, the Lord speaks to Joshua, as he's so faithful to do to him and to us. God reminds Joshua, who's in charge? Don't worry. I gave you the promise. They're not going to take you out. Joshua therefore came suddenly, uh, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed uh, them before Israel, killing them with a great slaughter in Gibeah, chasing them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Abizek and um, Machedah. There you go, I got it. And it happened as they fled before Israel. And we're on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as, uh, uh, as I said it already, Aziak. Uh, wait, no. Azekah. Thank you. Azekah. You got it. You, anyway, you got it. And they died. Therefore, more uh, who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. And then Joshua spoke to the Lord, and this is probably a very familiar passage to most of you, in that day when the Lord delivered up the Am Amorites from before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. This is not written in the book of Jasher. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. In verse 14, And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And I like 
and you get a little representation, some imagery of that really kind of gives you some idea here. And, and so again, um, you, you know, he came up and our map showed him that he came back and they marched all night and the Lord delivered them into his hand. And as the, the battle was, they, they had the upper hand, they were ready to flee during the night. You know, all these armies could escape away and the Lord, and Joshua just offers this prayer of, hey Lord, can you just not let the sun go down? Can you not let the moon come up? Can we just finish this? And the Lord listened to him. How did it happen? How did we lose a day? I have no idea. <laughs> but I know Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he's in control of all that. How, how did it work? Did the rotation stopped? Did this happen? Did this happen? I, I can't tell you. But it was a unique day in history, to say the least, because the Lord was working, and the Lord was doing what he had promised. And... The lesson to learn from that is God is for us. What's too hard for him to work in our lives? What's too impossible that you're looking at that he can't handle? We need to remember that at times. Sometimes we, we think it's just too difficult because we always put it in our terms or our thinking or our way of dealing with it or our resources or our you know how we see it. And we forget that nothing is impossible with God. And that's the miracle we need to remember. Yeah. Yeah, he may not stop the sun, but will he do equally as great a, of a miracle in our lives? Absolutely. And some of you can bear witness to that in your own life. I'm not the person I once was. Yeah, all of that. Here's a great... Well, there, this is, by the way... Um, I had a quote, but I can't quite find it. So, This is, um, this is what... What's, what's happening now? These are the battles we read about, and, and the rest of the chapter just talks about the battles that's going to happen in this area. They, they took this before they crossed over. Now they're going to take this. And really, that's what happens with the rest of the chapter. From verse 15, it talks about uh, those five kings that, that have hidden in a cave. And uh, it says, verse 15, he returned with all Israel to the camp in Gilgal, but the five kings he had fled and hidden uh, themselves in a cave uh, of Makada. And uh, so they, Joshua was told that. They rolled a large stone over there to guard them so they couldn't get away. And, and then Joshua will take them all out and, and uh, put them all to death. And um, the last part of 29 through the end of the chapter summarizes, again, all these conquests. And you could read all the names there and uh, we're not going to look through all of this here, um, but verses 29, um, after the battles of the five kings, now he's going to take all these lower cities down there all the way um, to the end here. And let's look at verse 42. And all the kings and all their lands Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Verse 43, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now, Again, I, I didn't read all those verses, and sometimes you may think, well, why in the world did the Lord put uh, that they beat you know, Lachish, and then they went over to Eglon, and then they went over to Debar, and then they went over to this thing and this town and struck this and Libna and did all this? You know, it may not seem like very important reading, but I, I you know, the Lord puts that record in there for us. Um, 
for a couple of reasons. For future generations. Is that what that is? Oh, that's not Marty. He's here. <laughs> Marty has a motorcycle. That sounded like it was coming out of the speaker. Um, thank you. But, um, you know, just to remember that, you know, future generations would read the victory and how they're living in the land that they're living and remind them that God defeated all these nations that are around there, more powerful and stronger kings. And again, um, that he is greater than all these things. And as we lead him and trust him and follow him and walk with him, what, what can oppose us? Nothing. You know, God has killed some powerful kings in our lives as well, hasn't he? It's good to remember those too. You know, maybe it was beer or drugs or money or sex. Some pretty powerful kings. When you gave your life to the Lord, how the Lord knocked those powerful kings down and eliminated them and gave us great victory. And we need to remember that he's still doing that. And we be, be encouraged that, man, he, with God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder that we have through these scriptures tonight, Lord. Learning that we need to be those that seek you and not to fall into traps that we didn't need to. And Lord, that we continually go to you and walk in your spirit and trust you, Lord. You'll lead and guide us and you'll never... We can trust you 100%. We can trust you with our lives, Lord. We know that. Help us to live that. And Father, the odds were pretty impossible again, but you come to Joshua as you so faithfully do and as you so wonderfully do in our lives as well. Whisper in our ear that I love you. I've made promises. I've given you my word. You know those things. I'm going to see them through because you're mine. And then one day I'll take you home. And you gave them great victory and impossible odds again because you're the God of great victories. And you want to continue to do that in our lives. And you have. A lot of us can bear witness of the great victories that you have given us over many powerful kings, so to speak, in our lives that ruled over us. Lord, you defeated them, and we're so thankful and grateful for that as well. So, Lord, I know you love us. I know you've got great plans for us. Help us to be those people that walk in faith and trust you. Live our lives, Lord, as you've called us to. We'll find what we're looking for, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, the love, because everything's found in you. We thank you for reminding us of that. Bless these things to our hearts, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. May the